Hello, Linux fans. Welcome to Episode 8 of Destination Linux, where we discuss Linux news and reviews and anything else fun or interesting in the Linux world. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Rocco. And this is Destination Linux. Hi, Rob. How are you, Rocco? I'm doing fabulous. I can't wait for this show. What do we have, Rob? Man, I am absolutely stoked. This is a special edition of uh, Destination Linux, and we have a very special guest, Ike Darty, the founder and uh, head developer of the Solus Project. So we are thrilled to have Ike and kind of dig into what's going on with Solus and uh, lots of other things there. So stay tuned. Well, good morning, Ike. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Yourself? I'm doing great. So you are the lead developer, founder of Solus. Mm-hmm. And we, um, we have a few questions for you, man. Not that we're going to start you up or anything, but we have a few questions for you. <laughs> I, I, have the first, I, I want to lead in with the first question. Go right ahead, Rob. Is there some kind of magic elixir that you have there in Ireland that we don't know about here in the States that allows you to stay up for 23 hours at a time, Mikey? <laughs> uh, I knew there was something like monsters involved. I knew it. Oh, this isn't even monsters. This is going like a level below monsters. This is after you've sold your soul. Like, uh, this is way after. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't sleep, man. That's all I'm saying. You can't. Sometimes um, it's a bit of an online, uh, on, yeah, ongoing joke online. And people always say, it's like, you should sleep, Ike. And I tend to take advantage of that, except for some people don't realize. It's like when you send a text and you try to be funny, but nobody got that. Right. <laughs> and they think you're deeply upset with them. It's yeah. like one of those kind of moments on Reddit. They're like, Ike, you should sleep. It's like, oh, no, I slept once. The time was, you know, they'd be like, uh, the time was October, I remember, because the leaves were falling off the trees. <laughs> I would say it out loud, you know. But yeah, they take it really serious. It's like, you should really look after your health. It's like, <laughs> I'm so human, I slept once. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you've certainly got a lot going on. And one of the newer things you're involved in that we want to definitely give a shout out to is the Late Night Linux podcast, which has become my new favorite podcast. And uh, without a doubt. And uh, so what was the uh, idea behind just was, did you just feel like there needed to be something new on the scene or what was the idea there? No, I mean, this is, (laughs) from my perspective, it was nothing as grandiose as that. So, I mean, Joe and Paddy, they've been working on before with, uh, well, over Paddy before. So this is where it gets confusing. They replaced one good paddy with a couple of paddies before. So, you know, you had, you had Jesse, Joe, and Paddy. They had uh, Linux Luddites. And basically, in the end, you know, one reason or another, Paddy just doesn't have the time to be doing this stuff anymore. And don't get me wrong, it's not from a lack of passion. Quite the opposite. And, you know, it, it, if they felt it's the time that um, Linux Luddites come to an end. And they wanted to start something new with... Um, 
didn't really feel right to call it Lennox Luddites. I mean, you can you can totally understand that because it it's not just a name; it's it's a defined relationship over a period of time. You know, those people who were in there, that dynamic, that establishment they had. So you can understand not using the same name again. You know, that's their sure. personal thing, really. Um, so yeah, one time Joe basically he came onto IRC and he put message me. He's like, you know, I mean, at the time I was barely weak as well, which didn't help. Sometimes I can't get a hint. <laughs> I just can't get hints. And he's basically said to me, he's like, you know, I'm putting this podcast together and, you know, it's going to be about this. And I'm like, yeah, great. Nice. See ya. <laughs> you know, it just completely went over my head. <laughs> he's like, oh, you said that on Telegram. He's like, oh, I don't use Telegram. Ah, I got on Telegram. And then somehow it came about and it's like, you, you know, I was actually being serious about it and wanted to come on as, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, for me, there's there's rarely a grand story involved. <laughs> like, it's over something circumstantial. Oh, I mean, once once I'd done the first episode, I mean, me, I, I kind of tried to tread a bit lightly on the first episode, which for people expecting otherwise was probably uncharacteristic <laughs> of me um, just to get a feel of it. But no, I, I really did enjoy it. And by the time we got to the second episode, you know, I was, I was well in there by that time. Uh, I felt a bit more comfortable. So yeah, no, really enjoying that. And that's the way it comes across too. And that's what makes it, you know, when you're listening and you, you, you pick up on the camaraderie and there's a lot of knowledge between all of you guys and you know, it's not really scripted. You guys are just, you're talking and, and you're, you're sharing. And, you know, sometimes you like, like we do here on uh, destination Linux, sometimes you're off on a tangent, but that's what makes it fun. You know, so you get all the personalities and the mixes in, but you've got all the knowledge and the background and the history there. So it's, it's a great show. So uh, oh, glad you guys are doing it. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So, um, Ike. You, you're making solace. What would you say to a a newer user, a user coming from Windows, um, any new user? What would you say to convince them to come and try Solus or use Solus as a daily operator? Stop! System? Just stop now. No, I stop work coming over here. The stress. Oh, <laughs> um, well. I mean, sometimes, like, sometimes I'm a bit of a double standard of myself. And there, There's a part of me, like, I don't, I don't want to be the salesperson. And I don't want to say to people, like, you should use it because blah, 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 blah. But then there's the other part of me that actually used to work in sales. So, <laughs> and I'm like, well, this thing is nothing. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, Solus is a bit of an evolutionary mission. I mean... If you was to look at it down on paper, you'd go, wow, just a distro, wasn't it? It is and it isn't. So one of the things I've been trying to get away from is the idea of distro and more trying to head towards operating system. And what I'm trying to focus on, I mean, it takes a long time. For, so one of the most distinguishing features about Solus, and arguably one of the most controversial issues about Solus, is that we don't necessarily use other people's stuff. <laughs> right. I think that would be a good high-level summary there. Um, right. At the moment, one of the most distinguishing features about Solus, you can't see it. 
it's how Solus is put together. It's all the bits behind the scenes. So one of the things I used to say a few years ago, just and anyone who's ever built a distro will basically tell you the same. A Linux distribution is held together by Simlinks and Goodwill. And that's pretty much the gist of it. <laughs> Regardless of what is missing, you can probably trick it to continue with a Simlink. You know, it, it could be anything. It could be Simlink had been true to make something pass. You can you can pull it off with a Simlink. Uh, so for the last year plus, we basically built the engine. Um, we wanted the core of it to be, as, you know, in line with the vision, which is kind of not doing dumb stuff, not repeating the historical mistakes of others. Uh, we're getting there, but now that we have that engine, we're trying to build that car as well. And what we want from Solus is something that gets out of your way. My view is if you build an operating system, that operating system in turn should know how to look after itself on account of it's an operating system. You know, <laughs> the name implies Imagine. it. <laughs> yeah, you, you just keep. Operating, and that's that's kind of the philosophy we're trying to go for. It should be pragmatic. Um, obviously, you try and favor all of the free solutions first because you kind of got to push that world forward. But we're still pragmatic, so if there's NVIDIA drivers and stuff, yeah, they should be there. If the user needs them, we should have a way of detecting them. That kind of stuff is should be standard for any usable desktop Linux distro. We're just trying to do things in a way where you install your computer and it looks after itself and when you need it to do something for you, it will be there. And that's the kind of thing we're going for. Well, you uh, mentioned that it's um, you can't see it, but I, be I beg to differ that you can see it or you can feel it when you run it. When you run it, it's hard to describe in a video or anything, any kind of words to describe how quickly it, everything opens up how cohesive everything looks. It just works, and it works quick, and I think that's where it shines. And, yeah. and I agree with you, Rocco, and that's the hard thing to convey to people as well. You know, there's, there's nothing there visual that lets you show what you just explained about the operating system. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the hard ones with Solus because, I mean, one of the things for me after using Solus all this time, because you have to dog food it. So my main system here is like a, is a little Intel NUC and you run Solus all the time. Do everything from it. It's, it's a sweet little system, to be honest with you. Um, but I also try and run what other people are doing. So last year I also got myself a little laptop which had two gigs of RAM, a terabyte hard drive, which was like 5,400 speed, you know, just to get <laughs> <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> then I wanted to feel how other people feel when they're using their system. And the thing that started is good. My friend, John, best, best person you ever know. Um, his daughter was running Solus on her laptop and then setting it up for her. And it, to me, it, it wasn't good enough. It just wasn't because I knew it could be faster. I knew it could be better. And that bugged me a lot. Like in some weird way, I felt kind of embarrassed about it. Like to me, it was a bit of an ordeal. And then I made sure that I never made that mistake again, that I did make it better. But because of that, one of the things people have problems with, if they switch away from Solar or they distro hop a bit, the boot time ruins them. <laughs> because that was the one thing that will follow them because it's one of the almost trademark parts about Solus now. 
it does stuff stupid quick. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, there's a couple of points where we're not great. Um, I mean, one of the things that was rightly pointed out by yourself before, I think it was LibreOffice. It's just, it's not the most rapid. You know, there are places where it's not great. But boot, boot up very quickly, shut down instantly. And then people go to other things. It's like, why am I waiting? And they get frustrated. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a feel to Solus. Um in terms of trying to describe exactly what that is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure even I've managed to do that. Yeah, that's the hard part. And Rocco and I have both had conversations about it. And you just have to install it and use it for you know use it for 36 hours. If you're a distro hopper, install mm. it and use it for 36 hours, and then move over to some Ubuntu based distribution, and you'll you'll yeah. fill it. You know. Yeah, and I've never been able to explain it to people. It's like, look, go go stick it on a USB. Tell us what you think. Don't put it on a virtual box because you'll only be crying. You know, right, right. Right. We don't have the best support there at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll share with you this too. So the first time I ran Solus, um, I just, the budgie desktop was just, I wasn't feeling it. I was into KDE at the time and it was really had been focused on KDE and what was going on there with Plasma 5. And then you switch over to uh, the budgie desktop, man, and that's a totally different, way of doing things. Uh, the second time around, you had just introduced the Mate desktop, which I think was a good move because that reaches a broader audience. Um, so I ran Mate for a while and really got into that. Being more familiar with Mate, I was able to find my way around. But this third time I've installed it uh, was strictly with Budgie. And I've got to say, after spending a couple of days running the Budgie desktop, I'll call it Solus proper, if you will, uh, that's become my favorite way to interact with the operating system is through Budgie now. Uh, and speaking of that, there's some things that are coming up there that are making the news waves uh, also. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> Open mic. There you go. <laughs> the floor is all yours. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, one of the most recent, I, I kind of say one of the most controversial, it's one of the most recent controversial things uh, is my decision. Well, it's not just my decision. You know, I've spoken with, I've spoken with Horst, who is the guy who makes uh, the theme and stuff for Budgie itself. Also, the guy who creates the arc themes. And spoken with him i've spoken with our team um i've even spoken with the well basically the only applet developer at the moment which is uh, stefan and everyone's okay with it and yes yeah, switching away from the current gnome gtk setup to Qt. now when budgie first started out december 2013 it's actually older than people realize uh, it's not terribly old but, you know, it, it's been kicking the tires for a couple of years now and still has terrible alt tab. Um, <clears throat> really, it's really been tormenting me lately. When it first started out, we started in GNOME 3.10 and it only had really simple aims. So the thing is at the time is I like GNOME applications. I like the general feel of them. Just really did not like GNOME Shell. It, it just, no. <laughs> no. And I mean that's not quite as true as it is nowadays because I think their desktop experience has gotten a lot better. But I wanted something I wouldn't say traditional, 
but I would say familiar with a slightly modern twist to it. Which is kind of what I've been going for. And it's only recently I managed to define that as well. It's only taken three years to get that together. <laughs> I What we want to get out of Budgie now, as opposed to what we wanted to do three years ago, are very, very different things. I mean, the, the general premise is still the same. It's in line with Soul's philosophy. He, there is power under the surface. It doesn't necessarily have to be worn out on the cuff. So Budgie looks deceptively simple when you look at it. Like, if you look at any... Yeah budget desktop and in fact quite a few people who have looked at it and i've seen a few youtube videos as well they'll look at it the first time and say oh well you know it's just a rigid panel and you got a couple of buttons to switch between applications and then you find raven then you find you can have multiple panels and then you've got the settings on from that the settings thing itself um, it's not really discoverable at all so <laughs> One of the first things we're going to be doing, like in the new system, is ripping the settings part out of Raven, and Raven's just going to become like applets, where we're calling them widgets now. But okay, applets and notifications, and all the settings will move into a new settings app. The problem we now have is things like integration. We've got GNOME Control Center, which sort of does most of the things you're going for, but we can't put things like driver management in there, which is one of the common complaints we get. Driver management isn't in there. We can't. We can't put arbitrary things in GNOME Control Center because it's completely locked down. It's not extensible. There's no plug-in system to it. Everything is just like, this is exactly what will be here and nothing more. Which, they're building their own desktop experience. I get that. It's just very, very, very restrictive and unwelcoming to anyone who's trying to derive from that experience. And it's one of the things I wanted to do. It's like, well... It should be all of the system settings in this one place. And I should have something for the desktop there so people can edit it and change it around because it's the most obvious place for this stuff to go. Can't do it. Um, that 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 was is answering one of my questions was not really in general why, hmm. because that's just so open-ended. But hmm. I didn't know if it was a matter of limiting uh, what you had envisioned for the future or was it buggy things that you had to work around uh, you know, that was the, the reason you wanted to switch and look look in other areas. It, uh, that That's the kind of thing, when you read news like that, you can mm-hmm. read the surface level stuff, but there's always an underlying reason. Some yeah. Sometimes it's simple things, and sometimes it's a combination of things. So, Yeah, I mean, it, for me, a, a large part of all of this moving away from the platform, I mean, those aren't the deciding factors in picking cute. It's... For me, one of the the major factors in wanting to move in the first place is I kind of feel like I can be stifled creatively okay. because what was once an open ecosystem is now not. I mean, it's still open source, but it's not an open platform because I can't extend it. And everything I have to do is hack, compounded on offer hacks to make everything work. I mean, give you an example. In Budgie, the print screen button doesn't work. It's a notorious issue by now. How do I take a screenshot when you go to the menu? No, no, you press print screen. No, 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 you don't. We don't talk about uh, that. We don't talk about that. <laughs> and the reason why is when you do that, we use GNOME sentence steaming in the background. That then sends a message to GNOME shell, which we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot of magic glue holding things together just to pretend to be GNOME shell to get things done. So, I mean, that was part of the motivation for wanting to move to a more independent platform in the first place. 
And I thought, well, while I'm doing everything that involves throwing everything else out, why don't I reevaluate the base technology as well? Okay. Because nowadays people want slightly more from Budgie than they once did. Because we went from Budgie 8, which had no theme in. I mean, people used to say, like, oh, you know, it's based on Chrome. Or it's like, no, we just sort of ran with that because I can't do CSS. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> just really awful at CSS. So that's why Budgie never had any theme in. Budgie 10, we got some serious help and it, it developed a theme, it developed a style. And nowadays, I mean, it's like the transparency, but we want to go a bit further than that. We want things like blurs. We want multiple panels. We're going to want Wayland support. We're going to want a fully integrated settings app. You know, people want more Swish animations. It just can't pull it off with the technology we've been using. Now, those moves, you just mentioned a couple of things, Wayland support and things <laughs> like that. That's going to help. One of the issues that I faced was with uh, screen tearing. You know, doing mm-hmm. doing a lot of YouTube videos like we do, uh, screen tearing is a culprit at times, and sometimes you can fix it relatively easy, and then other times it's just a bear. I mean, you just can't work around it. And that was one of the issues I faced was I couldn't get around the screen tearing issues. And um, not being super, super technical, you know, I went to the forums, uh, did as many searches as I could, tried a few things, but just never could resolve the issue. Mm. But when you have that leadway now to start advancing with Wayland and things like that, and, and I guess with drivers and things, other things that you're going to be able to implement, we're talking about some monumental changes here. I mean, this isn't small nickel dime stuff. This is pretty yeah, major changes. Pretty huge, yeah. Um, what we're trying to do is leverage existing technology where it makes sense. So one of the main blockers for us in not considering uh, Wayland all this time is, again, Solus itself has to be pragmatic. And the situation with NVIDIA and Wayland has been awful for years. You know, it was just a complete no-go. But nowadays, there is a very specific implementation of Wayland in NVIDIA 364 and above. The platform which we intend to leverage, which is the Qt Compositor system, which is Qt Wayland, allows you to create your own compositors, which is all really, really cool, supports it since uh, 5.8. So that's one of the major obstacles already solved for us. We can reuse existing technology. So that would be good. That would be good. If we were to put this in a scale for our for Rocco's, well, Rocco, I'm not going to speak for you. I'm going to say for my simple <laughs> mind, my non-technical mind. But to, to make all these changes and everything, let's say a, a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being monumentally huge and a pain in the rear, uh, to you know 5 being not so not so terrible, where would you put it? Well, up or down, there was a rewrite involved anyway. Even if we carried on to use GTK, carry on using parts gnome, there was going to be a rewrite because a lot of it is written in Vala, which is probably one of the stupidest decisions I've ever made in my life. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I've got to be honest about it. I mean, me personally, I'm a C guy. You know, that's kind of my thing. People basically know me for that, and they expect me to sort of defend the sea camp uh, but you know it is kind of where i sit but i listened to people before at a time i shouldn't have you know it was basically if anyone ever says to you it's like if, if you just if you just do that one thing that god sold for life man you know i'll always be there I'll be by your side you know when i'm worried like this now i'm like Uh, (laughs) 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 Uh, back then it was like oh you know it's just it it seems too hard to contribute 
I, I can't do C code, but if you use Valor, we'll contribute. Still waiting. <laughs> you know, uh, uh. The project's over three years old now, you know, still waiting. Not knock on my door. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Valor is just, uh, there's a lot of people who are going to defend it, but it is, I'm not going to swear, but you can probably imagine the things that it is I want to say about it. <clears throat> <laughs> Listening to late night Linux, I I can imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> and I'm normally such a nice boy too. <laughs> so, are there any downsides to switching to now? You you pronounce it cute, and I always pronounced it QT. Is there a certain way to pronounce it? Or yeah, um, so I'm I'm awful with pronunciations. Like I tend to say gnome instead of gnome. Right, right. gnome just sounds. Sh- Stupid. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So one of the other ones is cute. And to, I've always said QT, but I'm trying to get in the habit of saying things right now, like GNU. Yeah. Right. 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 No, we, yeah. we laugh about that all all the time. Antergos, Antergos, Antergos. Right, Tigro. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, honestly, I've Linux has the worst names it. ever. <laughs> I mean, I'm not helping situations either. I'm like, so like, is Solos it cute? The bloody desktop. What is it? Yeah, yeah. So is it cute? Proper way of saying that. Yeah. Okay. I've okay so what are the too. downsides to it, if any? Uh people. Some people will instinctively walk away from Solus now. Ah. Because we're changing to it. And there's already been some people, and I've been, you know, me being a deep, sympathetic soul. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're you're switching to Qt, but there won't be the KDE libraries in it, correct? Right, so what I wanted to avoid is I wanted to set a sensible tone for the conversation, and there was two things I explicitly said we wouldn't use. One of them I may have decided to reinterpret. Uh, One of them I said I wouldn't use QML, but after investigating what is available in Qt 5.8, I would actually use it. And the fact that you can now compile QML beforehand and there's all this optimization, blah, 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 TLDR, it's good. And for KDE libraries, I wanted to stop a situation where everyone's going to be like immediate. You should use KWIN. No. Right. Yeah. But they use it in here and it has all these things. It's like, that's complete. In fact, it was like when I started off Brisk menu. Why aren't you, why aren't you using the Whisker menu? Because it's for XFCE. Right. 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 Even for GTK two, <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just not related. <laughs> and I wanted to limit the conversation. I wanted to limit those factors to be sensible and beneficial to Budgie itself. You know, if there's so if there ends up being some reusable component of KD that we could use like uh, from the frameworks fight, so be it. I'm happy to use those. But my main focus was stopping people going off on that topic. And it, so far, it's been pretty successful. I mean, we've had the odd bit, like, why don't you use KWIN? Or why don't you merge with Leary OS? Just like, well, because we're older than them, so no. Great logic. Um, <laughs> because I refuse to. <laughs> Do you ever, 
well, just kind of reading back and, and uh, listening to you uh, comment about the processes you've gone through over the years, do you ever get the remarks, Ike, are you just trying to beat yourself up and do everything the hard way? Because if you step back, not being a developer, I have no idea what all goes into all of these things that have developed over the years. But it seems like you always hear the other side saying, yeah, but if you just did this, it'd be so much easier. So the other side, when they make their complaints about me, which is not very often. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 not at all. It's rare. It's rare. Rare. It's rare. Even singing Blue Moon. Um, (laughs) So rarely are they fully informed of the facts. So one of the things you always hear about me is Ike he doesn't know what he's doing. He's always changing his mind. He's doing one thing this minute and that minute. That's not actually true. What I do is I do not take my own word for granted. My own word is not gospel. And there are many out people out there who would believe their own word to be gospel and will defiantly stand by that until the bitter end. That's right. great, but that's like a man saying that he never gets cold to the point he gets pneumonia. Right. I don't want pneumonia. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you can't stand still. You have to be willing to reevaluate your own decisions based on their technical merit and their viability because sometimes they can be two different things. And yeah. th- that's what I do. I reevaluate them and I don't like to stand still. The other thing is Solus is always reinventing, Ike is always reinventing. That guy, Aiki, oh, he, he wouldn't just use Debian. or Why doesn't he just merge with Fedora? And this is the other bit I get, and it's like, oh, he's just using this new package manager. The package manager we use actually has existed since 2005. Wow. Which is two years younger than Arch Linux. Yep. Wow. But Aiki's using a new package manager. <laughs> you know, so you, you never really get the full thing. So with me, I've no interest in, in reinventing the wheel. The wheel is a great concept. What I want to make sure is everyone is actually driving on four of them, that they are round, <laughs> and that there is a minimal amount of friction. Yep. That's the bit I'm interested in. So making sure that I, I'll take some technologies, mix them together until it's good. It doesn't mean I'm having to reinvent things as such, because some of the things we do... Solus doesn't necessarily do original things. It just tries to do them right. And yes, I'm very opinionated on what should be right. Um, I have a certain approach to things. I don't like beating around the bush to how to do them. But the end result is something that is hopefully architecturally more sane. Well, and it shows because, I mean, this is this is hard stuff. This is long, drawn-out processes and hard things and time-consuming. And it's not just, hey, we're, we're changing you things. You make me feel great here now. Well, <laughs> let's not get your head too big, but... But there's a big difference because, look, I look at, as you said earlier, you you don't want it to be just a distribution. You want it to be an operating system. And I totally get that because one of the things I do on Linux Quest is I look at whatever's coming down the pike in distribution. And, you know, there are times when you're really struggling to find what makes this different from this other distribution, which is also based off of, and I'm just going to pick on Ubuntu, uh, that's also based, okay, so what's really different here? Oh, it's what's a new theme, it's here. a theme, and it's got XFCE, and they've mixed the whisker menu with uh, this file manager, okay? And 
and not to belittle it, I understand there's work involved in that, but that is totally different than here is an operating system that's doing things at a base level that are fundamentally different, not just we've got a new theme and we pulled in the whisker menu. So, yeah, I mean, I know you say you, you don't want to belittle these things, but there are, it, as over the years, we've come to famously dub them the wallpaper respins. Yes, yes, exactly. There's no other polite way of putting that. And, you know, those fill a niche for those people. And what, so slightly gone on a tangent here. Please, please. <laughs> do it. Do it. So be Nike things, and just do it. One of the things that's tormented me the most over the years is a new distro, and, and I say distro in the loosest possible sense. So to me, there is a respin and there is a distro. A distro is qualified as such when it is hosting its own software in a substantial fashion. It doesn't have to be all of it. You can be a derivative distro, no problem. A respin is exactly what it sounds like. You know, you, you just put a different bit of gift wrap up it and sell it in another market. Right, right. That, that's exactly what it is. And one of the things that torments me no end is you, you, be, you be up on Google Plus and something gets posted in the Linux community or it goes up and Reddit. This new distro, blah, 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 is now. I was like, great. When is it available for download? When can I have a view? No, you can't have it yet, but here is our website of why we're so different and why it's so amazing. Yes. <laughs> and yes. then you go on that site, it's like, we use Compass. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than all of that, there will be a donate button. Yes. Yes, bingo. Why? Why am I donating to you? Please support our good cause. And the worst thing is, like, one at a time, like, I used to get really annoyed at this because Solus was, like, finding its way. And it's not that I wanted money at the time. Solus was doing something. And this guy had come along, basically, he'd put a file in ETC scale. It's like, this changes the wallpaper, stuck it up, changed the package selection, and was making more money each month than I was. Crazy. That is crazy. I... <laughs> yeah so yeah that's well, one of the things <clears throat> some other things on uh, on a positive side too that mm. that i think is awesome to see is the collaboration and how many articles i've read uh you know over the last year and a half where oh well this team needs to get together with this team and make the ultimate linux operate and I'll, well that's a lot easier said than done obviously but the collaboration that's going on with uh, yourself and Martin Wimpress mm -hmm. and the development here with the Brisk menu, which I think is going to be uh, a menu that more and more people are going to want to incorporate because of the speed. And let's face it, you were able to take a step back, I guess, and say, what makes one app launcher or menu launcher better than another? Mm -hmm. And then you're able to look at the code and determine, is this thing where it needs to be? Is it simplified? Is it fast? And I guess you did all of that with the Brisk menu, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, I mean, so Brisk menu was a happy accident. Um, again, I, I, I rarely have grandiose plans or reasonings for things when they first start. And I mean, we'd re quite recently had our Solus Mate version out, and I, I just really did not like the menu in. It was the traditional, you know, like you've got the free menus up the top. And I mean, to be fair, Brisk menu still doesn't have super key. So 
<laughs> I can't make that judgment quite yet. I don't get that right yet, but it just didn't feel right. And for me, I mean, especially after being in Budgie so long, you know, you're so used to just go up menu, bomb, you type away, and off you go. And right. to me, that's very, very natural because I'm more keyboard orientated. But I do still make use of the mouse. Um, I mean, some people might expect me to be like in the depths of Emacs or Vim or something. No, you know, I use a graphical text editor, and if I've got to use a terminal one, I'm using Nano. Right? Uh, I, yeah, so I'm still like a bit of a gooey person, and the the menu situation was bugging me a lot. So you go off and you research the options, and the only ones I was finding. I mean, one of the things was to run Whisker menu for a compatibility layer both of which were for GTK2. <laughs> nope. It, yeah. it was a dirty solution. It was a dirty solution. Not saying the uh, Whisker menu itself is, but that method of then trying to, you know, just trying to jimmy it into the panel of a foreign environment, that doesn't sit well with me at all. It's a hack. So I said, okay, let's go look at the options and Python. So much Python. So much Python. <laughs> and it was a fork of the older mint menu, you know, like uh, Martin has tried to make it go as good as he can. It's just from an architectural standpoint, it's made some decisions that I'm really treading carefully here. It's made some decisions that might not stand up today. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, well, the, the dangerous thought I had, how hard can it be to write another menu? <laughs> Do you regret I mean, that really? question? That's right. Yeah, I mean, any time I start off in that sort of mindset, I mean, the last time I did that was December 2013. <laughs> you know, yeah. How hard would yeah. it be to create a panel? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there was no grand plan about it. It was, it was more out of frustration, and I thought, well, the obvious candidate here is going to be C. I mean, it's one that I know. I don't have to pussyfoot around some language and pretend like I'm being all hip. At the time, it's like, I don't really care for contributions. I just want to get this menu out there and solve a, an immediate issue. And then, yeah, I mean, that's, for one reason or another, that's got a surprising amount of attention. Um, yeah, but I was going think... to ask you, were you surprised? Sorry, Rocco. Go yeah, ahead. No, that's me, all right. Just a menu. Yeah. You know, it, it's just a menu. I mean, I'm sitting, part of me is the back of my head. It's like, well, I made soul build and I made white package and we have eel package and we have all this cool stuff. Yeah, but no, you'd be happy about the menu. You, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but to be honest with you, for most users, the menu is where you interact with your with your operating system or whatever you're running. That's where you launch your programs. That's where you search for things. And uh, I think what the brisk menu brings is it brings the defaults in mm. in a great selection. So you can put the brisk menu on, and by default, everything is set up the way it should be set up. And that's what's great about it. You have other menus where you have more customizing options or whatever. But like I said, I think people will be able to just put that on, use it, and adding more features like the uh, Windows key. I don't know when that's coming. Can you try? It will be coming because I really, really need that on my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really need that too. <laughs> yeah, it's tormenting me. <laughs> but adding all those options are just icing on the cake. I think it's a great menu right now, even without those options. Yeah. Well, one of the things you'll you'll often hear me say is sane defaults. 
no matter how configurable a system is, no matter how good it is, it should already just work. And that should be any part of the software. So one of the things we do in Solus is make sure we do have sane defaults. The things just work. They, they don't have to be hacked. You don't need first-run wizards to get everything going the way that they should be. It should already be good, you know. And I think the reason we got to the situation where we have, you know, these almost puppet-style setups after we're doing, like, a simple Ubuntu installation or an Ubuntu derivative or not picking out Ubuntu specifically. It's just the first one that always comes to mind. It's always going to be the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> well, you I said something. It's... You said something earlier that I think is important, and I don't want to overlook it. Hmm. You said, you know, you're still a GUI guy. You still use the mouse, you know. Hmm. And I think stepping back and looking at that, one of my thoughts is the more people we have using GNU slash Linux, uh, if, you know, if you will, is – the idea there is the more people you have using it, then Sorry, the more... Sorry, i to more coffee, Rob. Yeah, pass that around, man. Pass that around. Uh, is you, ha- <laughs> That's right. you have more, more people who can donate. You have then larger numbers so that key developers, let's say in the gaming world, for example, start taking a look at, at uh, Linux and... And they say, hey, wait a minute, there's a lot of growth going on here. And, you know, what was it, 2016, we saw we were, what, we hit 5% for the first time ever or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> I know. But but you, you can't lose sight of not everyone is using keyboard commands. Mm. Um, you know, and why is the menu? I think you were surprised at how much uh, you started getting positive feedback on the brisk menu. Mm. I think it surprised you. Yeah, because it's... It, 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 it's a menu. It's a menu. <laughs> right. It, just, right. it shouldn't be such a big thing because it sh- we should already have them. We should, we should, it should already be there. Um, the, there's a knock-on effect though, of the budgie, uh, the brisk menu. Well, I've given it away now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the existence of the brisk menu has made budgie feel very uncomfortable because <laughs> it's better than the budgie menu. It's uh, definitely better than the budgie menu. Um, well, you knew I that mean, question. Yeah, I mean, stylistically, okay, the budgie menu has the upper hand. Functionally, speed, everything else, you know, the brisk menu wins hands down. And it, it's a clean room attempt, you know, taking everything we learn after a long period of time. Because when you write what first write one of these, you don't know how to write one of these because you've never had to write one of these before. Um, but yeah, the, I'm quite happy with the brisk menu. So in terms of the future, like what I've done now is I've created something relatively simple. It's relatively simple. It's got a very, very lean code base. Um, I have a very particularly anal coding style. Um, It is what it is. But what I want to make Brisk Menu think of is right now it thinks in terms of menu categories and using a particular library to populate it with desktop entry files, which is great. But what I want to make it do is think in terms of data sources and which ones are persistent and which ones are not and how to reload them. So not to just limit risk menu solely to desktop menu files. Right. Ah. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to make it better always. Yeah, I mean, you just can't sit still on these things. And the the core of it is very likely to be used for other things. Um, if not the code itself, then definitely the concept because I, I some of the things I tried to solve there are actually very simple and it's for me it's why I do what I do 
So I have a problem. And no, I'm not. This is not me admitting I have a problem. By the way. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, so there's a problem I solve. Right? Well, I don't know what the follow up with that. I've been drinking for ten years. <laughs> hey, well, we have a Distro Hoppers Anonymous Club. You can join, and we That's do right. have a problem. We got a hotline and everything. Yeah. Uh, for me, there is a there is a specific problem that needs to be solved, and nobody tells me how I'm supposed to get there. That's that's the part I truly enjoy. It's. Yeah. It's not even the, you know, having the software out there because I mean, after a while, all software gets kind of boring. It's, it's unavoidable. You know, it's not the hot stuff anymore for me. It's how do we solve it? You know, how do we refine that little bit of process? How do we get there quicker? So in the earlier revisions, um, if you remember in Brisk menu, it would have duplicate search results. Yes, yes, and. It was when I was fixing that. It was it was just such a very very simple thing, but the the way that it works is because it's category to menu item. When you click on one of the categories, you're actually applying a filter. So it's got the same data source underneath. It just changes what you view of that. When you search, none of the filters are taken into consideration. So it's all of those desktop files. Right. which may come from multiple places, or worse, they might be in multiple categories. So you actually have those buttons exist two or three times. So what I did is when you're reloading the menu, like it's automatically done in the background. When it's reloading the menu, it will store the ID of that desktop and that button. So when you're searching it, it just looks if that ID equals that button. Right. Ah. It doesn't. It skips it. Now, I think in the end it was like... 10 lines of code or something I had to add to it. But it was such a such a tiny little thing. And then because of that, all your search results were unique when they came up. And it was only like a 10-line change or something. But it was that. It was the elegance of the solution. That's for me, is why I do this stuff. That, for me, is what drives me. Ver- versus you're, you're pulling in and working off of someone else's menu and you have no idea how many lines of code are involved that are screwing this thing up that yeah. you have to go back and backtrack? Is that, yeah, is that the way like it works? You're kind of reverse engineer in an architectural diagram, from, okay. which I can only politely describe as a mess in certain <laughs> okay. instances. Well, all of those little things, and that's why, you know, Rocco, Rocco and I do videos, and you've, and that's the other thing, is in the Linux community, you've got folks like myself and Rocco and 15 or 20 other guys who are doing videos about this particular distro, and we look for little things. Sometimes we miss those things, uh, but it's amazing to me, and it always has been, how important those things are to people out there in in the universe, I mean, that are involved with Linux. And it could be uh, something as simple as we've just been discussing, a menu change, an improved mm-hmm. menu becomes this huge thing. I mean, you'll get you'll get 2,000 views on a five-minute video on a, a menu change. Yeah. And it's, it's mind-blowing, really, you know. But that goes to show you that people who are involved with Linux, they're really into it. It's like... Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see that kind of stuff, or I, I don't watch Windows videos, but I'm not aware of Windows videos where, you know, some guy goes, oh, yeah, Windows 10, change this icon over here. And, and everybody's <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. No, but so that's what uh, 
That's what Solus brings is you have all these little things that are put together that make it one whole yeah. awesome operating system. And it may be a small change to you, like that was a 10-line change, but may, having that put into an already great operating system just polishes it even more. And every time there's an update, it just continually polishes it to the point where when somebody goes to install it for the first time, they're looking at something that's awesome. And it's all those little details, all your yeah. work that you do put into it. And I think it's awesome. It is. And and the other thing that uh, you mentioned, the theming earlier, where uh, there was some work done there on the theming. And, you know, that's the first thing you see visually. How cohesive is this? For me, it needs to feel like an operating system in that when you go from one window to the other, to this menu, to this settings uh, area over here, it needs to be cohesive. It needs to feel like it was designed to work together and be together. Um, and you had mentioned something earlier, too, in the Raven panel. Uh, it was hard to find settings. I've actually watched videos where the guy does a video on uh, on Solus and the Budgie desktop and yep. completely misses the settings area within the Raven panel. In fact, one of those most recent videos, he made a follow-up video as well. I saw he? that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I kind of felt bad for the guy in a way because, I mean, part of me internally is screaming, just click the goddamn button. <laughs> there you know but i know it's there right and that doesn't help the other people and you know other people have done it and it's eating them as well because you can see by some of the comments they're like it's there <laughs> but to the guys like how is he supposed to know that i mean to be fair i'm looking at it now it looks kind of like a logout icon how's nobody <laughs> and it is probably more familiar to those who've i mean i've not personally used a macbook before but it, it's that kind of design style, isn't it, really? Right, right. Um, yeah. Not saying that Raven bears any similarity to any Mac OS component. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, sir. Well, Absolutely. Wait till we get Blur. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and we knew we do need to improve the story there. Um, for me, Raven should just be a place where you go to get passive information, if that makes sense. You know, like news feeds that could come up there or system information, you know, just things that you could check up on but aren't vital and get, catch up on your missed notifications. So you could have things there like weather applets or, you know, system monitor and stuff like that. But you're going to have guys like Rocco and I who say, no, wait a minute, we love having our volume settings, our input output volume settings access right there. So you could go down and, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, so yeah. that's one of the that's one of the things that we'll be saying as an app. Well, we're calling them widgets now, but it's it's an applet, right? Okay, you know, like fancy terminology is like it, it's an applet. Yeah, uh, Raven never reached its potential. Raven is still very much a tech preview, I would argue, and unfortunately, didn't. At, at some point during Budgie Ten, I knew I was flogging a dead horse in terms of the stack. I knew something had to change. I knew that we were looking at a fundamental architectural shift at some point. I knew it was coming, so I haven't been invested in fixing the 10.2.9 code base. The fact that it's 10.2.9 says everything you need to know. know. 0.5.0.1 dash alpha 7. Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I mean, I knew it was all going to change, but 
the the settled it's, it should be like one place that you go there it's kind of like a, well it's your control center <laughs> the, the, right that's why it's called a control center right you go there and every aspect of the the system that you need to and the desktop should all be in that place and that's what i'm aiming for about g11 so we'll have our own application there and it would be pretty as well so it's a budget. This is going to be a big deal, man. I mean, this is going it's to be the be one to watch. Yeah, huge, huge, huge release. Like awesome. And one of the things I want to concentrate on is actually refining the visual style for it. So one of the things we've done in terms of the the, the icon theme has actually already been outsourced to Sam Hewitt, who's well known around the Linux community as far as icons. I've also yep. reached out to Horst, who is the creator of the Arc themes, the one who also did all the budgie theming. And asked if he would be interested in helping us put together a theme towards Budgie 11 and the next major version of Solus, if you like. It's kind of weird to think that we're rolling release and we still have major versions, but for Solus, we don't always play by the book. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like you could be using it once and then you'll say to someone, well, the, the, one of the things that always happens on Reddit, and I tend to observe these conversations instead of going into them. So I'm like, well, you know, I used Solus before and I did, this thing wasn't right. And then someone's like, well, have you tried it recently? And what do you mean? It's like, well, how long ago did you try it? Uh, a couple of months. That's ancient. Go get a new version. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Everything has changed. It's all better. Well, and that's that's the, you know, that seems like with rolling releases now, um, I think it's a good thing in so many ways. Uh, every now and then it doesn't always work out, you know. Uh, but, but that's the thing, and I, that's what keeps it exciting, is because now you're not waiting six months, nine months, one year for the next yeah. thing, you know. And uh, I love that aspect of it because I'm it allows you to – junkies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're what feeding changed? it. What changed? Yeah. Did I notice? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> it is. It is. And from – I mean, we used to be – what's a nut rolling release? Is there like a proper name for that? Right. Stagnant? <laughs> <laughs> and we started out with that, but we wasn't Stagnant very good release. at it. We, we just wasn't really good at it. And then, again, like I, me and Semantic version in just do not mix. And so we'd had Solus 1, we'd had like a couple of, uh, we didn't even have an RC because I said I just didn't want to do those little suffix things. <laughs> and then we got like to 1.1 and then, 1.2, the 1.2.1. It's like, but in that time, we I think we'd updated the GNOME stack twice or something, and it's like, we're not really good at not rolling. Because before that time, we'd been semi-rolling already. It was like, wouldn't it just be easier if we stopped pretending? Right. And then that way, people can get the updates as soon as they want. So the way that we do it in Solus is we have this... Technically, Solus has one repo. Even though it's considered to have two, it has one. So we have the unstable repo, which you, you can run, but we don't mean unstable, uh, Debian unstable. We mean will likely not only eat your dog, but probably possess <laughs> your hamster too. <laughs> you know, like it can really, really go very wrong very quickly over an unstable. The reason for that is if I'm doing a package on Solus here now and I type make publish, which sends it, well, it sends a command which tells the builder to then go and fetch that out of Git, you know, an immutable tag in history is exactly how I had it, the pristine state I had it there. It'll build that. And funny enough, that happens on a server underneath my desk here. 
which is like a, uh, a dual socket Xeon 64 gigs around. It's, it's, it's a monster. It's a monster. Oh, oh my. <laughs> Gotta be. Gotta so be, that will yeah. take the build, That then push that off back off to the solar servers. You know, there's all these authentications involved. It's all actually based on SSH, believe it or not. Wow. Like the whole thing just uses SSH because one thing you never do is reinvent crypto. Never do that. Yeah. <laughs> never do that. Right? Yeah. So that all happens there, and it, it gets dumped straight into Unstable. So okay. if there's a problem with that package, it's already there. So if something went completely uh, slightly wrong and hasn't been tested yet, then yeah, it can very easily go wrong for you. So, I mean, if you're around an IRC or like in communication with people, then it's easier to run on stable and it helps us test it. But what we do is we stabilize that. We try every four or five days, roughly, depending on the, the type of updates we're doing at the time. We then stabilize unstable. <laughs> Bear with. <laughs> and then once that's done, we'll sync the latest of each one. So we basically, we just cut off the top. And then that's us cutting a new release effectively. So re- really what's happening is every four or five days we're doing a new release of Solus is really what's happening. Wow. What it looks like to the user is that you're just getting new updates come through. In reality, what's happened is we've done everything in Unstable. We've all collaborated with each other. We've all synced it, right? These things are all done. We've also created numerous ISOs locally, tested them, make sure they all work. And then everything that's sitting on the top of that repo, so you have... This would be Shannon here, which is the code name for the stable repo. Then you have unstable here. Whatever the difference is, we cut it off. So that would be the latest version of every single package that's in there and any package that wasn't in there before. And then any packages that are abandoned are then pulled back out of the repo and on upgrade they're removed from you. We then produce a delta map going between those two uh, updates. So if you're on an unstable, it's very bandwidth heavy. So the most recent update we've done was well over 200 updates came through for people. And that the size there for most people was about 350 megs. Uh, if you was on Unstable, that was probably about 600, 650 megs. So we then what we do is like um, if you had three versions of a package, you have the newest one. Okay. Then you had like release one, release two, and this is release three. You get a one to three and a two to three. So whichever one you're on, you only apply that amount of it. Gotcha, gotcha, right? gotcha. Okay. So that's part of that upgrade process, and we're doing this every four or five days. Uh, for the gnome stuff, it took longer. But, yeah, so in reality, we are literally cutting a new release every few days. But the system we've got now, because we spent so much time on the tooling and all the bits that went into it, the bits that people don't see, the bits that I fret over and I'm obsessed about, like things like Y package for our packaging, you know, it, they're very, very alien and different to what other distributions are doing. But they facilitate us to do all this stuff. And I mean, one of the things people say about us is like, how do you manage to do everything you do? It's such a tiny, tiny little project. It shouldn't be possible. You, right. you know, you shouldn't be able to. You've got multiple ISOs out there, you've got multiple reapers. It's because we spent so much time on the tooling and the architecture of it that we're able to scale this big. So you're like Oz behind the curtain. <laughs> kind of yeah you know and just sit there and just look back at them you know <laughs> it's a great feeling it's a great feeling so what uh when is budgie 11 coming out oh we don't do dates oh, yeah, we when don't it's do dates. i'm sorry so, no we used to and we got every one of them wrong um, um so we've had this ongoing joke now for about two years where murphy's law and Solus, um, even back in the Evolve West days, give you an idea how, how far back it goes. At one point, 
we just got we were just sick of it because every time we do we'd say like you know this Sunday we'll put out a release and then my internet would be completely gone or one package update will completely break everything and doesn't get seen like so some one of these little things that happen or one time you know I get the government contact me and say that I'm in breach of their name oh yeah that's right <laughs> yeah. I did hear about that <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know so it was Murphy's law like it's getting to the point that we wanted to find Murphy and break his legs right? <laughs> <laughs> we just wasn't happy with it so we try not to do release dates anymore because you don't want to disappoint people so what you do instead of that is you just keep everybody in the loop um, at one point we even tried to do things in a way it wasn't so much about doing them secretly you know just working on those cool features you know like this is the thing yeah. that's coming up and then people are like Ooh, you know what's this and but what's better to do now is tease it over a slight amount of time. And you'll notice most of my posts on Google Plus as the, as the Solus page tend to be screenshots. Yeah. Yep. I just show people, like, just give them a small idea of what's coming. But I can't keep secrets. I'm just useless to them. They're too much straight. <laughs> I'll be like, no, we've done this thing. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, well, you know, the other thing, too, is I, I imagine why put yourself under that pressure because – if you've gone down that path before and you say, okay, our release date is blah, 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 2017. Now you feel this tremendous pressure. And you know what, uh, when you're under pressure and you're working like that, I think that's when you tend to miss things, you know? Yeah. And, um, and as you said, if you had a track history of missing it, why put yourself through, <laughs> why put yourself through that? So well, it was getting a bit, it was getting meme worthy at one point. Like we were doing worse than valve. <laughs> And that that's takes bad. some that takes some Yeah, that's bad. Well, the uh, I guess the proverbial elephant in the room, I would say yeah. for a lot of people, is you know they'll install Solus and uh, they'll go through and there'll be that one obscure package or piece of software yeah. that they absolutely have to have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure you've had your fill of that remark and that kind of thing, and you've got some solutions coming down the pike, I think, mm-hmm in those cases in terms of flat packs. Sure. Um, I mean, to address the largest part of the elephant, the most ugly part of it, often when people request software, they don't realize they don't need it. <laughs> I'm being deadly serious. It's probably truer than we want to believe. But yeah. <laughs> So to give you an example from the bug fest last night, I stopped counting when I got to six requests for VPN clients. Uh. And then when I started looking for them, I may have slightly ranted about this <laughs> last night. You know, it was all completely PG. Sure. Right. Sure, sure it is. More emphasis on the guidance power. <laughs> <laughs> then I actually looked into them all, and all they were was fancy wrappers against OpenVPN. Okay. Just use OpenVPN. Gotcha. And there's a there's a great deal of misleading software out there. And um, when you actually look into it, it's like, but this thing does this thing that the other thing doesn't do. It's like, well, is it maintained and blah blah blah. So, yeah, Flatpak as a potential solution, sure. Uh, I mean, to put it quite bluntly, Flatpak is going to be twofold in Solus. It's to deal with the things that we're not allowed to distribute, and we have ugly hacks in place. Yeah. I mean, you've seen the installation of Chrome and the software oh. center. Yeah, yeah it's, that's that's the only one that I have issues with. But Chrome, yeah. I got to tell you this, and mm. and I thought, okay, something's up here. All right, 
Chrome <laughs> Chrome developer version installed within seconds. Hmm. I mean, it, it took no time at all. But Chrome proper, I let it run all night. I turned my monitor off, and I let it run all night, woke up the next morning, and it was still saying installing. Yeah. So this is the bit where you're going to hate me. So even though they're two different packages, there is no actual reason for it. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. <laughs> there is literally no reason for it. Yeah. Like no, there is no variable there that affects it. Okay. Same thing for all of them. It's just, yeah, so you can see why I want to kill it. Oh, like, of course. Of course. It's fire. And it's almost an ironic statement at the bottom of the screen now. It's like, this may take some time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like Got a Snickers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yes, yeah, so, I mean I want to kill that with fire. Um, so I mean this does fall into another topic of EO package in the future, which I think I might touch on briefly after this. Uh, but Flatpak itself, it's got a few neat tricks up its sleeve that allows us to do things without reinventing everything. You know, be lazy and use what's out there. The other purpose is for stuff I don't want cluttering up the core solace repos themselves. It gives people a way of distributing this stuff or getting obtaining these things in the future. The universal apps part of it personally does not interest me at all. Right. I mean, I think if I was committed to it, I think you know by now I would have come up with my own system. Right. Because it would be it would be fighting different parts of the problem in a different way. And I mean, back when, before XDG app, which is what Flatpak used to be, before even that was getting out on its feet, I'd already put out to the, the normal mailing list with the suggestions of frameworks and runtimes and a working app concept where you'd have the sandbox in and you also had portals at the time so you could punch holes through the sandbox. Mm. So, I mean, I was already thinking about this a few years ago. But then experience, real-world experience of building distributions and you know getting people to use them, you know, you, you get a slightly different view of these things. And now I've been building distros for over 10 years. Time flies. <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> right? uh, it was just oh, yesterday what? I started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I've got a very particular view of how things should be done. And I don't believe Universal Apps is going to fix what everyone thinks it does. Um, I think it goes some way. For me, the emphasis on universal apps at some level I find personally offensive because of the amount of work we do in Solus to actually undo stupidity from upstreams. Like, stupidity that you would be ashamed to repeat. Ah. Because why? You know, like, these people are evading Darwinism. At, at times, <laughs> it you, that's a whole other rant. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we do have a soapbox episode within our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just let off some steam. They're an over one as well, steam. But you know, like you need this, you need this middle place where these integration things happen. And one of the things that the universal apps haven't solved yet is the most basic thing. They don't integrate with your desktop. You might have a desktop launcher, but then again, you could quite easily have a .sh file on your desktop, which truths into Debian from Fedora and runs an application there by setting Xhost Plus. Wow. So, 
I mean, that's kind of the same level of integration again, really. Because yes, it can access decomp, but no, your themes aren't in there. Your icon theme isn't inside of these. So, you know, those to me are fundamental issues. On top of that, I really, 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 really hate the idea of running this generic watered down runs for everyone, one size fits all runtime. This mini distro in between. I have a strong, strong hate for them. That's why things like Linux Steam integration exist. Okay. Because this doesn't work. It just does not work. And that's why you'll you'll often hear about Steam on Solus as being better than elsewhere. Because we took the time to actually build that part of it to provide that ABA compatibility. So on and the I'll flip you- side of that, we will be taking all that we've done with that and actually providing a Solus built runtime for Steam. Ah. As a flat pack bundle. So in because my main issue with it is using these watered down generic runtimes. Why not provide my own? Uh-huh. Right? Then everybody benefits, not just Solus. So, you know, there's, right. there's, there's always a silver lining. It can be rage at it, or you can turn it around, do something useful with it. And that's the kind of direction I want to go with it. So then everybody benefits from it. So they're not locked to just what their operating system has. They can all benefit. They can all get a bit more juice, a bit more FPS out of it. So that's some of my long-term goals involving Flatpak. That's great for everybody. I mean, I'll give you another prime example, too, where it works is so Caden uh, Live. So you try to install Caden Live uh, from distro to distro outside of the KDE environment, and you're going to get really messed up, confused results with the entire interface. It depends on the theme you have applied. Uh, it can be unusable in some cases on some desktops if it's not applied properly. Uh, but you install it within uh, Solus. And it's just like you've opened it within the KDE environment as far as where all the buttons are, where all the commands and controls and everything are. And that is not always the case. Not only that, but anything that's in your, your proper uh, app center, uh, you install it. It installs so flipping fast like the rest of the OS. I mean, it's Rocco, you back me up there. There's a wow. difference. I, it is the fastest software center out there that I Period. have ever used. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you should have seen the old version. <laughs> so the the areas where we tend to have problems in Solus is the legacy stack. Now, that might sound strange because Solus isn't that old, right? Right. But it is. Okay. So Solus now is used to be Evolve OS. Now, there was no intentional rebrand there. We had no choice. It's the same project. Okay. We were forced to change names because the UK and <laughs> so happy about that. But we got a better name anyway. They had well, a copyright on that. <laughs> that's yep. crazy. On two letters, OS. Really? Oh, that's right. It was OS. That's right. Yep. It wasn't even Evolve. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it wasn't even Evolve. How can a country have a copyright on the two letters? It was, OS. It was William was the trademark owner and. So, I mean, it was just another case of being able to bully the small guy. That's all right. Because nobody went after Apple. Nobody went after Google, you know. Pick because, your battles, right? Yeah, I mean, the UK government at the time was in bed with both of them. They just fitted out the whole of Parliament with new um, iPads. So, Ah, right. Yeah, and at the same time, uh, down in Kent, there was also uh, Google had partnered up with the government to provide local job opportunities. So there was like extended business opportunities in the community. They're, those couldn't be related, Ike. Come on now. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Follow yeah, the money. I mean, so the the legacy stack we have be before Solus, before Evolve OS, it used to be called Solus OS. Now people remember the Debian version of it. it Solus OS one, and we had Solus OS Evelyn, and that was actually based on Debian Stable, which at the time was Debian Squeeze. So we're going back a while. Yeah. That was, you know, that was the hot new stable. But some of the things might actually sound familiar. So I wanted an operating system that gets out of the way. Yeah. It had to be, you know, like wanted a stable core with up-to-date applications, you know. So some of the philosophies have always stayed the same. There's always been the same guiding principles. It's how you attain those. And by the time we got to Solo Swiss 2, I had had enough with being a derivative. I tried it. It was... Uh, by the time, well, when I did eventually come to closing down Solus OS, uh, we had 7,000 devs in our own repos, which are modifications, patches, fixes, and updates to base Debian. Because our scope was far greater than the derivatives should have been. And it was like one of those thoughts when I was thinking about Brisk. How hard would it be? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those tend to stink to me and I did, I built it from scratch the first one was 32-bit Solus OS 2, it was actually 32-bit believe it or not and that is where all of this now comes from because even though I'd closed it down I knew I was coming back The I, I had to close it down because we'd started off with Debian and the community was getting very tribal at the time my own right hand man was trying to take what I had away from me uh, there were actually wiki edits on Wikipedia to claim who the founder of the project was and Goodness. all this kind of madness. Wow. It was hostile. You know, we was getting DDoS daily. Uh, you know, like, this is the, the stuff that you don't hear about because at the time I tried to do the best thing. I said, look, well, we don't have, I think I said that we don't have the, the manpower to keep Solus. It's gone in its current form. I think I've shown over the last couple of years that manpower had nothing to do with it. No, nope. uh, right. because I've achieved far more in the last few years than I ever did with Solus OS. Manpower had nothing to do with it. I was saving the feelings of the community at the time. I've no interest in doing that now, I, because <laughs> I was. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I was completely ostracized, and at one point, I seem to remember reading various articles online claiming that I closed down Solus OS to pursue uh, my new job, which at the time had started with Intel. Now, I've been with Intel now for three years and eight months. Okay. Now, you guys know that Solus is young, the current Solus is younger than that. I yeah, work right. at Intel's open source technology center. <laughs> Why would I close down an open source project? That's exactly right. <laughs> Why would you do it? Uh, for me, it, was, it, it just couldn't be done. So I've always compared it to a mangy dog that I had to put down. But I salvaged what good bits I could. Yeah. And the very base of it was forked into Evolve OS. I say forked. It's kind of weird to say forked when it's your own thing, isn't it? But Right. I, I did. Evolve. Evolve. Uh, <laughs> so, then that basically became Evolve OS. And some of the legacy crap stuck around, like some of the old design mistakes. And the software center was one of those. The installer was another one. The installer has gone through so many revisions. It was originally created for Linux Mint Debian Edition. The oh, wow. first 
the next men debian edition wow right because as you guys know I, that was my thing yep. along with frontal songs as well yeah um, and some of the stuff that i've done so like nowadays you hear about like why well, he's rewriting this thing it's like it's because it's ancient it, it's it's really ancient and it it's had to go you, you learn things that you don't know when you set out to make these things like with the installer i didn't realize how to do automatic partitioning i didn't know so this installer became this huge cluster beep of complexities <laughs> of reading xml files to know about keyboards and then calling out you know the you know the cli tool inksy oh yeah i love that tool by the way but i was using that to discover the partitions that were available instead of okay. doing like a cat prop partitions and then reading from that so there was all these little kinds of problems that existed around for years that the architecture was a joke at the time you know like i wasn't the developer i am now right. and the same the same was true with the software center so some of the old crap still exists and the, the one place it still exists is third party right because third party used to be evo assist so as evo assist then was part of the old uh, software center before that software center got completely rewritten to be less derpy and that's why the only bad part of it is the one bit of the old solo switch that remains it was the same with the installer completely redid it got it the whole thing completely redid it and the installer has some cases it's not great with at the moment but the thing is, come on, leaps and bounds from what it used to. I mean, you can do automatic partition, you can do LVM, you can do encryption, do all this stuff with it now, and I'm kind of semi-proud of it. You should be. Uh, it's fast. Uh, I've never had an issue, and and I, like I said, I've installed it at least three times in the last three months, probably. Mm. You know, uh, it needs a slideshow, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> well yeah. it's just to pass a little time. You know, that's that's like the old saying: you have a slow elevator if you don't have mirrors for people to look at themselves, right? When they're waiting, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's the slideshow that just passes yeah, time. It's the same as us not having a boot splash in Solus, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. That's you right. don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, but I think people notice. Uh, by everything that you've done so far that you don't make even though there are changes being made you don't make them just because you feel like making them there's a lot of thought put into it and there's a specific reason why it's done uh so it's not just a fly-by-night oh well i just feel like changing this today these are hardcore decisions being Mm -hmm. made by real facts yeah i mean it's not like i'm sitting there like mulling over the things saying what's all the things that are broken it's 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 background noise. It's the only way I can really describe it. It's background noise. You get uh, you. It's imagine if you will, you were blindfolded and you you were out and the tide was out as well. You get to a certain point where you can feel the tide is a bit too high, and it's yep, time right. to move. So it's all part of the background noise, just from the daily things going on, and you get to a point and say, "This just is none." You know, like, it's not like I'm actively going... So I'm not like one of those, you know, like you get these really intelligent people and, you know, they're really... They're like mobile think tanks. They're right. thinking of all the problems that exist. I'm not one of those guys. You know, I'm not going off inventing unique things. It's like I get to a certain point where it suddenly twigs in my brain. It's like, we're doing this wrong. Like, we've been doing this thing so long, it's annoying me. It's like, well, just just fix it. 
let's just fix it once and then we won't have to worry about it again. And yeah, it just turns out there's quite a few of those that we have to fix. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, <clears throat> I've heard you mention this too, that you, at some point, I guess, are you sitting there thinking, all right, where do, is it like, okay, where do we want Solus to be in five years? I mean, to sit around and think about that and contemplate that is almost pointless, I think, in my yeah. opinion, because in five years, technology has changed at a level to where thing, some things don't matter anymore and new things do. Yeah, um, I mean, there's no point in being, I'm not a visionary. I'm not. I'm a very pragmatic, stubborn fool at times. <laughs> and that would be the most apt description of me. Like, the my biggest flaw is... I so I've called it cider syndrome. Now, have you ever watched Heroes? Yeah. Now you remember Siler? Yeah. There was the main protagonist. He was also awesome, by the way. He was kind of <laughs> awesome. He was like, kind of badass. But he he would look now. I'm not saying I've gone around eating people's brains out because I'm not doing that. Right? I'm a vampire. But... That would be a huge <laughs> downfall. Yes, that would be slight disadvantage. Uh, you know, like um when he looks at things and he has to understand how they work to an OCD level. Right. And then afterwards isn't happy with how they work. I kind of have the same problem. Like, it's not enough just to know how to use something for me. I, I need to understand how it all fits together. Yeah. And if I'm not happy with how that thing fits together, because it could be a great little application or a great little tool, and then I look inside it. I'll look behind the smoke and mirrors and I'm not happy. Uh, and, you know, it's going back to the whole Wizard of Oz thing again. You can't it? ignore it. Once you know <laughs> I can't, it, I can't, can't let it go. It. I can't yeah. let it go. And that's become the problem for so many things. But, I mean, in the end, it's not a problem because, you know, it's it's my floor. It's my own floor that I, I can't let those things go. There is a time to know when to let them go. And, yes, yeah, sometimes I have to concede defeat on those things because right. something like GLIPC, I'm not rewriting that. <laughs> no, no, no. But there's some things that I, ju I just can't let go, like things like packaging. Now, uh, have you guys ever done any bits of packaging for, like, just anything? No. No. Okay, so traditionally, packaging is a colossal pain in the arse. It's, it's not fun. You know, there is a lot of, it's a lot of boilerplate, a lot of meta information. And then you have, like, all these, it's like a recipe. Okay. You have these steps. This is how you cook it and this is what you expect it to look like at the end the problem usually is you have to tell it how you expect it to look at the end so you tell it where the files go how these things interact with each other how this thing depends on that thing you know these have a link these have a relationship and a lot of it is the same stuff again and again and again and again mm. so we used to use a different uh, package build format in Solus, which was an xml description file at the time this was the hot stuff you know this was invented back in 2005. You know, we wow. just basically taken over it. So we didn't pioneer that part of it. And you have like a Python file, which described the build steps. Now at the time, like uh, this was all hot stuff. Like uh, Connery did the same sort of thing, Python build steps, you know. And, you know, in this day and age, like I don't want to spend all my time packaging. Right. There, and what I was finding is all of the packages that I did, essentially they all fit the same basic patterns. You'd have a thing, say it was a library, like you've got like a GTK3. And then it provides development files so other things can build against GTK. So you're like, okay, that's yeah. GTK3 develop. 
Then it might provide some documentation, which is only like API documentation, GTK3 docs. So you start to get this very fixed pattern that you start to see emerging through, if you like, through the chaos that is the repo. There's this consistent pattern, this naming convention, this standard way of expressing relationships between the dependents of a package. And I thought, I'm getting sick of this. I'm, I'm doing the same thing every single time. I'm doing a package and I'm just repeating the same steps every single time. I am re-expressing the same relationship. I'm describing this one as the development thing that defends the main thing, blah, 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 blah. So I automated the hell out of it. Ah. So the thing the Y package does, which the other ones don't, is it already knows the rules. It already knows what these things should look like at the end. So you don't tell it where things go. You can, as an optional step, to override its own logic. But it knows where library files goes. It knows where binary files goes. It knows how these things interact. It knows how they should depend on each other. It knows what their relationship should be. So instead of having this manual process of accounting for files and who goes where and who talks to which and all this crap, I mean, you take that down to about a three-minute process just to create a new package. To update a process, we now, we now just type one command, which is why update, and you just pass it the new URL for the source. Um, boom, that's created an update. All right, you might have to now add the build dependency in. But that's kind of the hardest part of it, you know, like the meta information part of it. Um, well, that's the sort of things I try to go for with Solus, the bits you don't see at all. Not knowing any better, the way you automated it would have been the way I would have thought from the very beginning that it should be, but that's because yeah. I don't know any better. Because the other way have... makes no sense whatsoever. That right, you have I mean, to... once it's explained, you're like, well, why why wasn't it always that way? Yeah. It just But I think because the distributions define their patterns over time, we learn things, they just became what everybody does. Like this is a rough template but what a spec would look like. And I got sick of doing it all manually all the time, so boom. I mean, yes, there are downsides and upsides to every process, even my own, but it's what works for Solus. It allows us to rapidly just deploy things and just keep spitting them out, keep churning out the packages because we don't care about packages themselves. We don't. They're not interested. They're fancy tarballs. <laughs> you know, they're a bit of gift wrapped on them. <laughs> I mean, we don't do anything significant. When people talk about package formats and why one package manager is better than another, and does it really matter? Right. I well, mean, I get you're just installing files. Right. Yep. Yep. It's an archive manager on steroids. Yeah. Exactly. What what would you say to uh, someone who wants to give Solus a try? Maybe you know, maybe they don't distro hop a lot. Maybe they've been stuck on. We'll use Linux Mint for an example because it seems to be statically stuck on the distro watch page. Well, so a lot on. of people, a lot of people <laughs> see that, and they, you know, let's face it, people who don't know put credence into that. They go, well, hey, it's number one. It must be great, right? Um, and but so, what would you say to someone who's wanting to try something new as far as Here's why I think you should give uh, Solus a spin. So one of the things I've noticed to be true about Solus, um, people trying Solus for the first time, if somebody has very limited experience with Linux, like they haven't really run it, like they're coming from Windows or Mac or what have you, they generally have no problems getting up to getting up with Solus because the installer is easy enough. We have the software center there accessible in the menu. You know, that stuff. You can very easily just sit down with Solus and use it. Right. Um, for someone who's coming from another Linux distro, it's considerably harder. 
And that might sound really silly. Like, to anyone who's watching, I mean, you know what I mean, but yeah. to, to people who are watching this, it's like, how can it be harder for someone who's already Linuxed? Right. Solus flies in the face of many preconceptions. Yep. I mean, one of the first things you always see people is apt is missing. Apt right. is not there. Because Solus is 100% independent. It's built from scratch. And that that term is a bit of a misnomer, but basically we're not based on another Linux distro, essentially, right? right. We're non-derived, we're tier one. We're kind of funny when it comes to software. So we don't want lots of things that do the same thing. We want quality software. So one of the comparison draws here is like, Solus only has a few packages, there's like 10 Ten actual packages is what Solus has. The whole system, just ten packages. Ubuntu, 30,000 packages. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the reality there is, I think Solus actually has about 5,000 packages, right? But the problem is, how are we defining a package? Right. Because a package has sub-packages, Right. True. So if you install something, you might have sub-packages in there. So the average split ratio, I worked it out a couple of years ago, could be incorrect now, for an Ubuntu package was uh, 1 to 10. So one package okay. may form up to 10, but on average, at the end of it. So uh, the way that it eventually worked out is there was something like, I think... <laughs> uh, <there> was, okay <laughs> I think in the end there was something like uh, 8,000 source packages or something which then it exploded to 30,000 30, binary packages mm. so in terms of that Solus actually has more software than people would think but we're not trying to be generic we don't want all of the software you're not running it on a toaster you're certainly not running it on a server I mean we've said right. that repeatedly if you want something for a server install a server operating system you know we can make some of the stuff that we can do because we can get away with it. I mean, because... <laughs> so, <laughs> if you have a generic operating system, you can run on a server, you can run on a desktop, you know, like you have shared configurations that would be used by those packages on multiple profiles. We only have to care about the, the home, the desktop. Okay. So, it's not really cutting corners because you're optimizing for a bit. It sort of is. Because we're only going to be running that on that target. We can just say, well, we don't need this craft. We don't need that stuff, you know. This is the right. only way it's, it needs to be booted. It's the only way it's ever going to be booted. It's the only profile it's ever going to be used. It's only ever going to be used on 64-bit, you know. So we can make those decisions that other people can. They just cannot do it, which sort of gives us a bit of an upper hand. In... Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and well, I do I, take full advantage of it. The analogy, <laughs> to, to, you should. You should. You take enough crap as it is, so you should. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, the analogy I always go back to when you're talking about apps is, you know, the um, with the old uh, the Google Play Store um, and, you know, Apple came on the scene, of course, and then Windows tried to get in the mix. And the analogy is, you know, how many fart apps do you really need? You know, we've got five million apps and you, you start looking at those apps and you have a lot that are redundant that propose to do the same thing. But only two of those out of the 30 that propose to do the same thing are actually any good. And our problem is we try to go for those just two installers. Which is a great thing because to that weed through process is a real pain. Uh, the time, I'd love to have the time back that I've spent with Android apps thinking, based on what I read in the description, this is it. Yeah. 
only to find out later after you've installed it and the pop-up ads and all of that other stuff that come along with it, that it's really not it, you know? And um, so that is, there's something to be said for that. And also the fact that my understanding is, I mean, when you've got an app in place there and you install it within Solus, the odds that you're going to have bizarre issues are, would you say less than what you could expect with other, let's say the AUR, for example, which is not always a bed of roses. Um, would, would that be fair to speak say? about the AUR in a bad way? <laughs> <laughs> no, AUR I know I'm asking low. for it. AUR is low. Uh, <laughs> but would you would that be a fair statement to say oh, yeah. that <laughs> from, from, a, from a stability standpoint yeah. um, for a new user? Yeah, I mean, there's only going to be a couple of rare cases in which something is less tested. So to give an example, um, I recently put GUFW and Firewall D into the repos. They will be making it unstable predominantly because I need test coverage on those. I need people looking at them to report the issues with them because it's an early integration task. If a package has already been in there, you know, like uh, let's say like you've had a package that's been unstable for a week or something, which is basically almost all packages, you know. When you think about the fact that there was only going to be, you know, like 10 or something new apps come through on the sink, you know, the chances are that only a very small amount of them have only been in for a week. After that, you know, they have been tested. You know, people are known to be using them. They're in there because somebody wanted them. Uh, yeah. We do, we, because of that, we never preempt, or, well, we try not to preempt any requests. And if we find that someone's, we've had it on the tracker before, it's like, okay, to be clear, if you're requesting this software, it needs to be for you. Okay. Not because people might find it cool. Right. Ah. If ah. we know you're doing that, we're closing the issue down which makes us different from other distributions because they'll be like, well, you know, there's this cool thing that just came out on, oh, my God, Ubuntu, and it's an Electron app, and it does weather, and, oh, my God, it's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You you have a web browser. It's an Electron app. Well, I noticed there's a difference. (laughs) There's a difference in the uh, software center for the third-party apps listing than there is on the wiki. So there's more apps on the wiki. Why is that? It's just stuff that made it over to the software center because we have to manually upgrade that stuff. Uh, we have to; it's basically provided by code in the software center itself. Okay. So the things that it knows about. There's no automation because I didn't want another attack vector. Basically, yeah. I didn't want people just injecting arbitrary input into it because SSL isn't always what you think it is, especially okay. if you're using corporate networks or you go to Starbucks. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I installed this thing and oh my computer is gone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, maybe you could put a link to the wiki page in the software center. What do you think? Uh, no, no. <laughs> no. See, this is the thing. Now, if you look at the Ike, software center, why don't you put a link to the AUR with? Yes, I'm, I'm, Ike, <laughs> why can't you just in, yeah. incorporate the AUR, the AUR into Solus? Like How many times have you heard that, Ike? Too many, too many, too many. It uh, should be easy. I mean, just a couple lines, and you're there. <laughs> Yeah, pseudo apt get installed <laughs> AUR, right? <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, the thing is, a user repository, as, as much as people want to dress it up, and it has been dressed up a lot over the years, it's a source repo. It's a source repository. Solus is a binary operating system. You know, it just doesn't make sense within the context of Solus. And if you have, like, this great package you want to share with people, Get it in our repo. Jesus, we have the hosting for it. 
you know, the right. repo at the moment is sitting on a two terabyte disk. We're wow. using 120 gigs. So if people <laughs> want to suggest packages, where can they go to do that? Uh, dev.solus-project.com. Really I will. I will put a link in the description yeah, we'll, for that. We'll put the link there. You used to have an in the bottom of the software center. It basically said to people because people don't read. By the way, right. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this. <laughs> right. They people, like pretty pictures, okay? Yeah. And that's why I kind of try and cater for for most of my posts. Look at this thing. What is it? Doesn't matter. There's a, it's a screenshot. Here. Look at it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so one of the things we used to have, we had a little link in there, which basically said, I mean, I was perhaps a bit over ambitious at the time. And I basically said that if your software was not listed in the third party category because you're a vendor, then please contact us. And it was an email link. And I got rid of that because people kept emailing me saying, can I have compass? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me guess, you had like 4,334 emails by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and it just, they, they, they clicked it and I was abusing it. And it was, there's like requests and software that we have a mechanism for that. And a lot, some people don't think it's possible in open source, but you definitely can overstep the bounds. You really can overstep the bounds. And the one I'm getting at the moment is people are actually emailing my work address, asking uh, Solist and Budgie and budgie remix and all this stuff it's like you're overstepping boundaries yeah this is stuff you do not do it's the same as knocking at a man's house at 11 o'clock at night you that's right do that. you that's right do that. um, well and here's the thing too for people to always remember i think is uh this operating system solus is free mm. and uh, well go ahead it's free to download and use. It's Correct. free to download and use. That's what. That's my point. Bingo, mm-hmm. bingo. It's free to download and use. And so for a man to get, you know, an uh, all uproar because Solus doesn't have this package and so therefore it's, you know, and not that you get this, but it's crap because it doesn't have this and I can't get it. We do get that. <laughs> so that's where I, I would say, Hey folks, don't lose sight of that. It's free to download and use. And to your yeah. point, that's, that's a great way to state it. Um, so you know what, uh, cut them all some slack. That's my opinion is, yeah. you know, you've been working on this for how many years now? Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's blood, sweat, and tears, man. All the yeah. time and effort you put into it. And that's where it's doesn't, that's where it's not free. Because yeah, there's I mean, so much time and effort put into it. Well, I mean, it's not free financially either. It's actually incredibly expensive to host solos. So, I mean, to give you an idea, that, that, that build server is under my desk right now. So it cost me about 15 to 20 euros electric a week in here, you know, just right. to keep everything going in my apartment. It's only a little apartment. Yeah. Um, so that's electric. Obviously, I have to have a 100 megabit line here as well for the internet. That's kind of standard, and you could sort of dismiss that stuff. But then there's hardware as well, or the fact that we have um, we now have two root servers, which together would come to about 170 euros a month uh, before tax. You know, uh, on the new package server, we also just added um, a one gigabit per second connection on there because people were having problems with the download times. So you got all these things, and then we have SSL certs, we have the domain names themselves. You know, after quite a well, 
I mean, even in April now, we got... Well, I did the renewals of the other day. We got uh, SSL renewal coming up in April, and I've paid for the infrastructure now for six months. But, you know, all this stuff does build up, so it's not financially free. Right. But all that mm-hmm. aside, the one thing I do not want to support in Solus is a yes-man society because it's free to download and use. It It's okay to gloss over the problems. No. Right. It's a project, but we need to think. We need to think with a product mentality. So for me, it's not acceptable for some of the bugs in there. Obviously, there are ways you approach these bugs. If you if you're coming forward, you don't just say, "Well, solar sucks because <laughs> not <laughs> much." That's right. <laughs> there there are ways to deal with these things, but I mean, we're open, we're receptive. We we want solar to improve. You know, at the end of the day, we want a better computing experience for people and. We've, we've been trying to get away from the term desktop operating system because words are a funny thing. Yeah. Once you once you apply the word desktop to it, even though you, you're making it for desktop machines, but once you say desktop, it's all you can think about. You know, it's, it's a dangerous thing. It hangs on the air. So it defines everything you can do and be. And I find that very, very dangerous. So what we now, it, it it's a bit like a corporate BS sounding name, but what we now say in Solus is home computing. Ah, that's what Solus is for, and it forces you to think about other aspects. It's like, what does it mean to be in the home with an operating system, as opposed to being just being like a generic workstation? Right. What do you do for people in the home? Well, there's a modern media focus. There's an internet focus. You know, you need an always-on mentality behind building the operating system. It should just be ready to go at any moment. You know, they, they, these are the kind of things that forces you to think about. So, yeah, we say home computing now. Okay. And while people might argue that we're not quite there yet, I'm always going to argue that we're never there yet because I have to think like that because we have to keep improving. That that What we're dedicated to do is actually getting there. Yeah. That's yeah. my mission. Well, that's, and that's the awesome part about it all is that um... – you know, it's evolving. <laughs> there I go again with evolving, but it's evolving. It's it's changing. It's improving. And you know what? Constructive criticism is good, and I'm sure you guys appreciate constructive within the boundaries. Con- constructive. It uh, just has to be actionable, right? If right. we can't take action on it, it's it's not helping anybody. And sometimes you'll see me reply to something, and sometimes yeah, I can be a bit harsh because. If you say something stupid, I, I'm, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to say something. Like not long ago, and I can't even remember uh, which video it was on, but basically someone was like, uh, "Well, I, I recently I tried Solus and it was really, really bad, and you couldn't possibly use it." It's like, why? We, it, the, the password was too long. You're a moron. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! There's no polite way of putting it. Like you're an, a legitimate jackass. It was just. <laughs> absorbing the oxygen that other people dearly need. <laughs> oh my I love um, it, I love it. You know, you, you just can't let these things go. But what, the best help you can always be to somebody else is by being honest with them and by being straight with them. So there's there's too much in Linux of assuming station, uh, that people have station and there's a station to be risen above. And there's this almost status that people have in Linux, which torments me because I hate the whole rock star culture. 
And I was heading that way a couple of times myself, and I deleted my old Google Plus because I just don't want to support that. You know, everyone was on a level button. Level button? Footing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe that was an Irish thing. I wasn't. <laughs> For me, like, I'm still a user. You know, I need. I need my system to get out of my way as well. You know, I'm still developing it for me as well. And, you know, like, if you provide people with actionable feedback, it's like, not this sucks. And you don't have to, like, you know, mince your words or something. You don't have to be like, oh, I can't say this sucks. No, things do suck, like Alt and Tab and Budgie. What? (laughs) 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 You know, I mean, the Nick Cage meme was invented for that. (laughs) (laughs) Just tell us why these things are bad. Right, and then we can fix them, because otherwise we've all just wasted each other's time. Because you're going to say something sucks, and then I, if there's nothing there for me to act on, it's like, well, you suck. Right, right. right. It just gets back to well, we'll know you too, <laughs> <laughs> and then you've just wasted more time. You know, exactly. <laughs> tell us why things suck, and then we can all fix it. Well, I for one, I appreciate it, and you know, there are times when I shake my head and 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 think, you know, really. How do you deal with it? How do you put up with it? I mean, you've got to have some patience in there. But there are times when you've just, as you said, you just got to lay it out there because mm-hmm. it is what it is. And, uh, you know, you have to at some point you got to move on. You can't stand around and, and everyone look at a hole and and complain that, you know, that um, that that hole wasn't dug a particular way for this particular reason. But, you know, and you mm-hmm. could spend forever on it. But um, all in all, you know. The, the user, at the end of the day, the user appreciates what those little things that are in the background that have all led up to what it is today. You don't see it always because it's as things we have discussed here. Uh, but the user appreciates it, and I, for one, do. I know Rocco does stability. We had a, an issue with stability on Rocco's side here where uh, – and those are no. all the things. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but those are all the things that are before the glitz and the glamour and the theming and the beautiful eye concepts and all of those other things that come into play. And that's the part for me that I've always uh, I don't know if you know uh, if you've ever chatted with uh, Jody James uh, from OB Revenge. It's an arch based distro. Oh, I do remember hearing about the distro. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, here's a guy who taught himself how to program mm. because he thought to himself, I want to make a distro. I want to make my own operating system. Mm. And the guy spent time teaching himself how to program from nothing, you know. And, man, there's just – I've got a lot of admiration for people like that who who go through that process, mm. you know, because they've got this goal in mind. and And so it's appreciated. I know you don't hear it. You know, I'm sure you're not getting, you know, as many emails every day saying, hey, man, I appreciate what you're doing. But there's another way people can show appreciation, and that is through supporting the project. Mm. So financially. Yeah, and I mean, the f- financially is one part of it because, I mean, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. So one, we need to keep the lights on. Right. Yep. Which are probably shouldn't be on right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, the other thing is testing, providing feedback, translations, and hell, if you're good with code, jump in. Um, ah. What we could actually do with right now, so I don't know why this perception exists, but people tend to think that 
Solis just wants to work within this core team. And people think, like with Budgie, that it, only I want to work on it and I, only I want to hack on it. No! <laughs> help! <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, Please, help. Yeah, I mean, if you want to jump in, like, we're looking for community maintainers. You know, if you want to jump in and you want to own a component, you want to own a few packages, you know, you can do that. Okay. We'll, we'll hook you up the keys, he'll hook you up the infrastructure, you know, like, in you go. Uh, you know, bugs, patches, packages... Um, using it, telling us why it sucks. These, these all help because over time we're all together, like gradually refining this into something. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, in some ways, like uh, yes, I'm the founder of Solus, but I would argue that I was the founder of Solus. I am now the developer for Solus, as opposed to the developer of Solus. That makes okay. sense. Yeah. Right. So the the purpose, direction of and tasks of Solus is slowly defining itself through through discussion with the community over time. And I will see those tasks and I will now tend to them. Whereas before it used to be me saying, Well, this thing that that the thing there budgy. You know, like those days are not completely behind us because there are times when I will step back into my dictator role and say, no. <laughs> right, right. I hate this thing. Like uh, last night, TLP, I drop kicked it from orbit. I <laughs> TLP? Yeah, gone. It's banned from Solus. Like I've literally deprecated it from the repos. It is gone. Wow. No polite description for it, so I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, it just, but it's there had to be a reason for that. It's too problematic. It, it's a piece of crap. I'm sorry, it's a piece of crap. And, you know, like the developers might hear this and then they get upset about it. Don't make it a piece of crap. Right. Right. I mean, it, it's using bash scripts, which are very, very slow. It's halting the boot time. It's adding like three or four seconds regression on my machine. It's it's a quad-core Intel NUC, 16 gigs of RAM, 128 gig SSD, and it's I want to say Haswell. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Limited my hardware knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a good machine. And this is the same machine that I famously got Solos booting in 1.125 seconds on. Wow. 1.125 wow. seconds. Yeah. So if it's adding three seconds to it here, what the hell is it doing everywhere else? Yep. Right. Right. Because it's, it's, it's a collection of bash scripts and it's making ill-informed decisions on what to do on the system. It's it has no place in the modern world. The concept does, the code and implementation do not. They could easily it could easily be achieved today by a simple little Go or C binary. You know, it's like if this looks like that profile, then do those those things. How about not suspending the disk of my users? Like, yeah. how I have a MacBook, and when I unplug the cord, it can no longer see my SSD. That's right. stupid. Right. <laughs> you know, it can right. be defined how dumb that is. But that's the stuff. This is stuff like where I get personally a little bit wound up a bit, a little bit, a little bit wound up. <laughs> and then I will interfere. And like I say, I drop kick that from orbit. But for the most part, Solus has been defined by the community, its real needs, and it's like an emerging ecosystem at times. 
it can be really interesting to watch it. Like if you look at it from a real high level, from how Solus used to be, and then you find this thing that's even though there is input from other human beings doing things, it's almost an organism in its own right in the way that it's evolving and it's adapting and it's changing. It's a bit like DNA, isn't it? We're taking yeah. out the bad strands and putting the good strands back in. And right. If you look at it like from real high up, that's what you can actually see happening with solars. It's like an adjusting ecosystem, but again, it's like a bit of DNA itself. So to me, I mean, again, those parts of it, the, the weirdest, most abstract reasons why you wouldn't do a distro are the bits that appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like that. <laughs> Well, well, Ike, I appreciate everything you do. I know everybody else out here appreciates everything you do. And it has been absolutely awesome to get to talk to you. And I put the link for Solus Project in the description. And is there any other thing you want to add? Anything you want to share that maybe no one knows about yet that we can have a little scoop on? See, this is the thing because I've always got something, haven't I? (laughs) (laughs) So it's no secret that I've been looking to fix EO Package for a while. Um, EO Package originally started as, for the sake of argument, we're going to say PySight. Okay. Because that's not how you would pronounce it. Anyway, it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it started off as I said earlier on. It started out in two thousand and five, and for what it was at the time, it was great. And when I adopted it into Solus, I knew full well I could adapt it to what I needed to do. It was multiple. You know, you see something is malleable, you can adapt it to what you need to do. But it's been no secret for a while that I want to replace it to do things more efficiently from things that I've learned as well. Um, I mean, I used to use an XML build format, you know, it was acceptable (laughs) at the time sort of thing. So I've been thinking about it. The first of all, I said, I was just going to replace the EO package with a simple C rewrite. It was all I was going to do feature parody. You know, how hard would it be? (laughs) <laughs> not, not awfully hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't be. <that> <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I got thinking about it even more. It's like, wait a minute. And, and a part of it probably is just to be a dick to Arch Linux <laughs> because they love Pac Man. And I would kind of like to one up it a little bit. Right? <laughs> there is that small element I have to be honest about. I kind of want to do it because of that. But I thought, why make something that's just got the same feature parity? Why not take it a step further? So most of my day today has comprised of watching old YouTube videos, downloading various distributions, and thinking, what do I like about the system? So the reason I wanted to write it in C, C is the most low-level language where you can use it from anything, whatever you need to plug into it. You can wrap Python around it with a bit of magic. You know, you can use it from anywhere. But then I was thinking, well, maybe that's part of the problem. That's the way we're designing these package managers, that they need to embed themselves into other processes. And I got thinking about it. I thought, well, what if we design it so it's not? Because if you think about it from an application, like a web application perspective, you could embed like an SQLite database, right? Right. But we all know the performance kind of sucks, right? Yep. 
as opposed to having someone like Mario DB. Awkward, because that's not in Solus. Skipping over that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to say here. Keep moving. (laughs) (laughs) But you have like this standalone dedicated server that doesn't have to tie into everything, tie off to everything. Works real nice. And you communicate it for a standard fashion, don't you? You communicate it over a socket. So that got me thinking. What if? And I've been looking at the likes. Do you guys remember Arpath and Foresight Linux? No. Foresight, maybe yeah. vaguely. Foresight closed down, I think, in about 2015. You had Arpath, Arp Builder. Uh, the company was SAS, and you had the Connery Package Manager. Okay. So this is one of the ones that was giving me a little bit of inspiration. So I'm going a little bit above and beyond. But basically, the way it works with Connery is you don't really have packages. You have file sets. And the way I, the way I was looking at it, I thought it kind of mapped to the way we do things with white package, where we have this automatic policy of what goes where. And, I mean, they have this obtuse naming the things you have uh, components and collections and troves and packages and lions and tigers and bed, you know, <laughs> completely over the top. But then I thought, what if there was a way that we had like a, a normal repository, right? Because the problem we have now when doing things like Delta upgrade is keeping those deltas between all of those things. And then you have this exponentially growing map between things. It gets really complicated. I thought, what if on a repo you had exploded files and the package. So you had that compressed package to download the first time. Yeah. The next time you go and update it, a bit like Connery where you get the change set, except for I would pre-cache this and have this worked out on a standard server. So there was no calculations involved, right? This thing used like a, a private API to talk to the server. Convoluted. Unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. Right? Architectural weaknesses. It's written in Python too. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> I was thinking, what if you also had all the files available there? Now, from a security perspective and from a privacy perspective, you would not keep the file names on the server. So let's say it was like a nano. Okay. And the only file that changed was user bin nano. What if you only downloaded user bin nano from the server? Right? Right. But now from a privacy perspective, you would just store it as the hash sum. So like the SHA256, that would be the name of the file on the okay. server. Nobody knows what you downloaded so you have the privacy thing already solved. Now, I mean, obviously, this would be quite complicated in itself. So you can either download the package or just the different parts of uh, packages that you need. Additionally, you'd be able to mask individual files or have a file-based dependency between packages as opposed to needing the whole package. Uh, right. Or additionally, deciding that this... So at the moment, like we have package names, so you have like something docs, something locales, or something like that, right? Yep. Instead of having them as a name, which I think is very weak, what I'm considering for the next version is to do something a little bit like Connery. So we have like this, this single package, which would consist of these strongly typed components, locales, devel, docs. Right. And then if you wanted to just mask a particular one out, you could. So if you wanted to strip your system down so it had no locales down, you would then apply a mask pattern. Any locale capability provided by any package would never be installed. So you'd only install part of the package. Only what you need. Only what you need out of the packages. But going further than that, we could also make it so even though the packages provide the full locale, it only installs the part of that package that you need. 
Oh, that'd be brilliant. In your system. So then you end up having the system, you'd end up upgrading it, and it would slowly shrink over time. You don't really need would... the parts on you need. So this is where I want to go with this. And I thought, on top of that, so we have this back-end part. This is the package manager itself. We then wrap it with a daemon. So instead of having all of these different tools trying to talk to each other, all trying to use libraries, all trying to initialize databases, everyone fighting for contention with each other, we have this one standard transactional daemon that runs in the background that encapsulates the entire package manager. So you can write a tool in any language because you're just talking to over a socket. You know, that's standard stuff. So then any like updaters or anything, write them in any language you want. You don't have to say wow. this have a C binding. And then they can be running in the background and you can close these applications to talk to them because they use up memory. So the thing is like um, the software center at the moment takes about 70 megabytes of memory because it's all Python. The the update checker sadly uses about another 35 to 40 megabytes of memory and it doesn't even have a window. <laughs> it doesn't even have a window because it's Python and using all these bits. So you could have things that just spawn on demand when they're needed. Wow. And then say to the background browser, like the background daemon is like, right, what transactions have you got? Let's display them here. What things do you have supporting this capability? Be able to mask things. So that's sort of the direction I'm starting to head up. Whereas originally I wanted feature parity. I thought, no, we now need a third generation package manager. Very and just nice. completely blow the lid off it. Because I've always argued package managers aren't important. Traditional package managers, perhaps. But we could go that one step further and completely redefine how packaging is deployed to people. So you then get to a point where you go, okay, if I'm downloading individual files from things, what if I'm downloading individual files based on CPU features? Oh, wow. Yep. Absolutely. So then you could have multiple builds of the same package existing in the same repository, and you're downloading the one that's optimized for your system. Holy cow. Right, that would totally change things. Yeah, very so streamlined. This is kind of where I went off today, and I was like, "That makes sense." And I was trying to figure out about the way that you would describe this relationship between files. And the the simplest thing I could come to is that the files are more important than the packages. Traditionally, okay. about the packages being the important part, the packages aren't because it brings in all this stuff we don't want. You know, like sometimes you'll install a library and it brings in these user bin files. I don't want them. Oh it's yeah, right. I don't want them. So the files are far more important. The relationship between files is far more important, important there, <laughs> far more important than the relationship between packages. They should can be computed ahead of time. But additionally, the, the way that you should look at a package install operation is line of sight. So instead of like the complexities and dependencies you have now, say I wanted to install, again, Nano. Right? I wouldn't need to make sure that so I have... The original repo up here is a Solus repo. I have a repo up here, and I have to make sure that I have a line of sight through to user bin nano that is satisfied all the way through. So, like, if it needs a particular symbol, two system states, what my system state would look after these packages mm -hmm. installed and before, do I have a line of sight between those operations through files, not through packages? The packages are just the gift wrap that originally provided them. So why package already does this stuff already and knows how to sub-package, we, we could take that so much further. As long as I have a line of sight to a file and a file-based dependency, I can have it regardless of what repository it came from. So you, then you could have a priority system. 
On top of that, because they're pre-computed states between different repos, if I remove one repo, it invalidates that and the line of sight is then recalculated. So an upgrade after removing a repository would downgrade back to the older state. (laughs) Because you have this line of sight system and these pre-computed states, everything then becomes transactional, which means you could then say, to do this, these were the files I had before. So let's say I have uh, user bin nano, uh, really popular today with nano. So I have nano, say we'll say release five, and I'm going to release seven, right? So I'm putting seven onto my system here, aren't I, in user bin nano. Why don't I now store user bin nano five over here? Wow. Right. So then if I wanted to go back, swap the files. Yep. Wow. Just literally swap the files. So then you could roll back the entire transaction offline. This I is keep, why uh, I don't code and you do. <laughs> I just and, I just do videos. <laughs> and, and I thought Ike was going to feed us. Well, we're going to change the blue hue in the logo. <laughs> blue is important. <laughs> oh, that, that's phenomenal! So now we're talking about fewer resources needed. Uh, less likelihood that you're uh, mixing packages or building clutter as time goes, because you're only going to be pulling in the file. If if I'm thinking about this right, you're only going to be pulling in the file that you need, yeah. not not a, a a package with redundancies in there in some cases, right? Because they're so far, aren't they? They're, yeah, they are. Like, there's this. You, you might have a, a one package that provides two different versions of a library. So like a. One example would be uh, the PCRE library, uh, Perl Compatible Regular Expressions. So this is a source package. Everything needs is to do PCRE, which is regex stuff, right? Now, that comes with some files that are useful to your system, but it comes with other files that might not be, like the libpcre C++ bindings. Okay. Additional files that you might not actually need. No need for it, yeah. Right. yeah. So, I mean, they wouldn't be included in the line of sight. They would be periphery. To continue with that, Brilliant. you know, analogy. Brilliant. So you just wouldn't need those in the computed state of the system. Now, if we compute those, the the base part of the dependency ahead of time. So when we're building something in Solus, we examine the files, and we say a lot of distros do something similar. But what the way that they do it is it's calculated at runtime. We validate that at build time, and we say this is the actual thing it depends on. Okay. Not it depends on that thing that is provided by it, we depend explicitly on that guy. And if you did that inside the repository system, then you have far less... So you get drift from the time a thing is packaged to the time it gets to a user system. So I package something today, put it on a system, it's absolutely fine then. A few weeks pass, a few months pass, that thing hasn't been updated in a while. One of its build dependencies could have changed. It drifts from when it was originally cleanly built it minimizes that by ensuring that everything in that repository is known to work with each other. There's known to not have file path conflicts because it can, because those files are already exploded in the repo. Additionally, you might have a case where a lot of packages share the same file. They might have the same file between like 50 different packages because it's a readme or something. You only need to store that in the repo once and download it once because you're deduplicating, aren't you? It's just hash sums. As if so you didn't have enough to do already. I mean, that's kind of what started going off in my head today. And I was like, that is going to be one of my longer-term projects, like just blowing the lid off a of package management and making it genuinely useful. Incredible. Well, all in all, I think Solus is going to be 
continually growing, continually evolving, shall we say? (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's great right now. But I really do appreciate all your efforts, Ike. And I hate to cut everything short, but uh, I have to get to work, actually. So um, You got to pay the bills. I got to pay the bills, man. So it has been great having you, Ike. I really appreciate it. And um, great work on Solus. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ike. And I just want to say, you guys definitely keep up with doing the videos because we kind of need more of this. And I've noticed the the world of Linux YouTube changing over the last couple of years, especially with the disruptive actors coming in. And it's no longer just Ubuntu based. You know, there is no longer things are having to differentiate now. And you show people why those things matter. So definitely keep that up because you're informing users, not just the technical part of it. It's actually why it applies to users. And I think that's helpful. So. Well, thank you, Ike. Appreciate it, man. Cheers to you. Cheers. Have Get a you great some day. rest. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs>